especially this past week, Mandy and, and uh, Amanda and Sam and just our whole family ministry and just the incredible work they did and, and so many of you just uh, giving of the week to love on kids. And uh, many of you, VBS may be part of your story of faith, and we pray that for our kids. And then our youth leave tomorrow for youth camp. So it's just uh, we're full-blown into summer for sure. But if you see uh, Mandy or Amanda or Sam, just please tell them how much you appreciate them. If you read my email this week, um, you may not get it, or, or uh, if you don't get it, please contact the office. But as you probably read, uh, Jim Moorhead has now been with us for 10 years. And uh, he and Pam came 10 years ago, and I, I've got to say this. Jim, Jim handles just about everything. Uh, he, he makes sure it runs. He makes sure he, he gets the backlash of things. But he has made things so good for me and for our staff. And I just want to take a moment just to tell Jim how much I appreciate you and love you and thank you for 10 years. I appreciate that. Now go fix the bathrooms, Jim. Uh, Jim has to handle everything. Uh, but if you're a guest today, we have been walking through the letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi called Philippians. And uh, today we're in chapter 3. And we're going to look at this today. We're going to be in uh, 3, 1 through 11 here in just a moment. But uh, I... I get concerned uh, about a lot of things, especially things that are eternal. I, I, temporary things don't bother me so much as eternal things because I know that I was made for more than here. And I really get concerned with people who, um, who have walked away from their so-called faith. And uh, we live in, in a day of the back door is so large opening and I'm not, I'm not saying just about Central. I'm talking about the church as a whole in the West. It's just a huge back door. And, and uh, we got generations that seem to be walking away. And I, I sometimes ask myself, why, why is this? Have we made church a spectator sport? Have we not presented Jesus correctly? There's a lot of things that, that we could look into that. But today, Paul is going to deal uh, with some of those things. And so I want to, I'm going to encourage you to get your Bibles or your devices. But I want to begin. There's a made-up story that goes something like this. Satan was meeting, meeting with his demons, and uh, he asked the question. He said, what can we do? What's a strategy we can put in place that will keep people from coming to salvation and a new life in Jesus Christ. What can we do? And so one demon raised his hands and he said, uh, I have it. I know what we can do. We can tell men that there is no life after death, that they die like animals. And Satan thought a minute and his face kind of fell and he said, it will never work. Man is not ignorant. Even atheists admit at times that 
there's got to be something beyond here. He said, I don't think that'll work. So they went back thinking again, and a demon raised his hand again. He said, here's the solution. Let's say there is no God, and if there ever was, he's dead now, because even if he started the universe, he is departed. He is left now. And Satan thought a minute, and he said, that won't work either. Um, most of them know there is a God, so that's, that's not going to work. And so they're about to give up on their strategy, and finally, one little demon raised his hand, and he said, I have it, a sure solution. He said, let's go tell them that God is real, and the Bible is God's Word. And they gasp, and they think, he, he's, he's got a problem. And then he went on, and tell them that Jesus is God's Son and frees men from sin. Now they're really wondering about this demon. And then he said, and then we tell them that this is not the best time to choose Christ. Help them make excuses for delaying their decision. Tell them there is no hurry and they're not that bad. And they all agreed that that was the best solution. I think we're seeing that played out on a daily basis. If we were to walk out here on Congress Avenue, let's say, in Austin, and we were to stop people and ask them this very question, what is a Christian? I think we would get probably varied answers on everyone we ask. We would get answers like, one who does good deeds, or one who goes to church, right? Or one who has been baptized. Or, or one who follows the teachings of Jesus. Which is close. I was watching a uh, video the other day. It was an Islamic teacher. And, and the group was mainly uh, Muslims. And a Christian girl stood up and asked the question, said, Please answer and and tell us, in the Quran it says that a good Muslim is to follow the teachings of Jesus. What do you say? And without a hitch, he began to quote the Bible. He began to quote the Quran on many things. And then he ended it by saying this. He said, most Muslims follow the teachings of Jesus more than most Christians. And man, that, that stung as I thought about that. But another answer may be one who reads the Bible or one who keeps a code of conduct or one who grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home, man. I'm a Christian. And then in our day, I'm an American Texan conservative Republican, right? That's that's it's become a political thing. And really, our worldview in our country right now is secular humanism. And our, we base our faith on moral deism. You know what moral deism is? If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God is obligated to take me. And we can always find somebody that we're better than. You go to a funeral these days and not know where the person stands, 100% of the time they say they're in a better place. Because we believe in moral deism in our country and it's wrong. Well, in Philippians chapter 3, let's pick it up 
We're going to do verses 1 through 6 and then 7 through 11, so stick with me. First of all, you're going to realize that Paul is a preacher because he starts out with the word finally and he has two chapters to go. What does the word finally mean to a preacher? Nothing. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He, he's willing to repeat himself. I've heard uh, a comment made before. You know, I've heard Mark preach for years and he keeps saying the same thing. And I think that's not that bad of, a, of an answer, actually. Verse 2, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. Man, he gives his resume there. He starts by talking about these beware of dogs. And in our culture, dogs are pets, man's best friend, these kind of things. In a biblical time, dogs were, in fact, Jews called the Gentile dogs. And uh, they, the dog <clears throat> was one of the lowest forms of life they felt. And so any calling somebody a dog was not a compliment. And what Paul says here, you beware of the dogs. And this is who he's talking about. He's talking about a group of people that would follow around where Paul had preached. And they were called Judaizers. Uh, Judaizers. And what they would do is after Paul had led people to faith, they would come and they would say this, you need to become a Jew first, you need to keep the law first, and then you can become a Christian. In other words, straighten up the outside, keep a code of conduct, and then you can become a follower of Jesus. And that's wrong. And so what, what Paul is saying, beware of these dogs. They may as well go mutilate themselves. And uh, he has laid this out because you know what a legalist is. They're legalists. They're Christian legalists. They're people who think that you've got to lay out a code of conduct, and if you keep these, then you're a better Christian than somebody else. And and we don't take into account growth. We don't take into account the Holy Spirit. We don't take into account. We we just want to be the spiritual police to make sure you're acting correctly. And Paul would say, beware of those dogs. Beware of those dogs. And then he said, we are the true circumcision. Circumcision came in when Abraham, God told Abraham that they needed to circumcise the young men. And and, uh, it was a sign that they belonged to the Lord. And he says, we are the true circumcision. Those that worship basically in spirit and in truth. That's who he is saying, our hearts the flesh, fleshly part of our hearts has been cut away. And then he begins to give his resume. Man, this is a resume. 
If, if, if a Jew legalizer uh, could come and give his resume, Paul's was beyond that. We're going to have two major points today. The first one you can write down right now. It's called bankruptcy of the old man. Bankruptcy, you know, bankruptcy, you've come to where you can't do anything anymore. You have lost any means, uh, the bankruptcy of the old man. And Paul gives his resume. First of all, he talks about his pedigree. You know, pedigree is that true blood, that uh, you have that true blood. Uh, you know, for you that are into dogs, you want that true uh, lab or that poodle or whatever you want, pure pedigree. Well, Paul's pedigree, he was pure blood. Notice what he says. He was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, in his body, physically, he shows the sign of of a, a Jew, true Jew. He was an Israelite. He was born into it. His family was Israelite, so he was born. And then he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And what's the big deal of the tribe of Benjamin? When, if you know anything about the Old Testament... There were 12 tribes. Eventually, they split into what's called Judah and Israel. Israel got taken captive, and so Judah existed. And two tribes made up Judah. There was Judah, and then there was Benjamin. Benjamin was a small uh, tribe, small group uh, compared to, especially to Judah. But they they would say they're the pure breeds. In fact, the first king came out of the tribe of Benjamin. What was his name? Saul. Saul. And so Paul, who was surnamed Saul, could have said, listen, I bear in my body the marks of a true follower of God. I uh, was born into it. My parents were that way. I'm even of the tribe of Benjamin. I was named after the first king. He could have, he could have said his pedigree is going to get him into heaven, right? You know, many people today try to use their pedigree as an excuse to say, hey, I'm truly saved. Uh, in other words, I was baptized into the church. I was baptized as a kid or I was baptized. I've gone through, uh, the rituals. Uh, or this one, I grew up in a Christian home. Man, I, I've, I've just known God all my life. Here's a third one. My grandparents really knew. And, and uh, they were really followers of Jesus. In other words, there's this legacy that has been passed down. And since my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my parents were all believers, uh, I'm automatically a believer. That, that's the way it should be. And many people today are relying on their pedigree to think it's going to get them into heaven, and it's not. Here's one more. Uh I, I thought about this. I thought, man, for you to know my story, I can say this. Man, I was going to church nine months before I was born. And I was born, I learned to sin at church. I mean, that's just the way way it is. I was uh, Nine months before I was born, I was going to church. We went to church about every Sunday. We, uh, My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. I even have a name that's named after one of the Gospels in the Bible, Mark. Man, surely God's going to take me. But you know, those, those are excuses that will keep you out of heaven. But then he not only talks about his pedigree, 
He talks about his achievements. He says this, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, I learned the original language. Uh, I was a Pharisee. I had a title, man. Uh, uh, I was almost special ops in religious when it came to God, man. I, he was a Pharisee. He, he had zeal. He was sincere. He was passionate. He was actually going about killing the followers of Jesus. And then, and one more, he said he was blameless. He, uh, he was a good guy who kept the rules. If you were to put the rules up there and put Paul, man, he would be blameless. You know, many people are counting on their achievements to get them into heaven today. Um, I know the Bible stories, man. I know, I know that Jesus went to the cross. I know he rose from the dead. I know about Moses. I know about Abraham. I know about, uh, I know the Bible stories, man. I can quote you all the books of the Bible. There's 66. I can do that. And we hang on to an achievement. Or we've been to special classes, right? We've been either to catechism or confirmation classes or baptism classes or discipleship classes or membership classes. Because I've been to all those classes, man, it makes me somebody in the kingdom. Or here's one. Many people have titles today. We don't have a whole lot of titles here. It's it's by choice uh, because sometimes we hang on to titles. But you may have the title of teacher or worship leader or deacon or elder or pastor even. You know, you may have a title and you think, man, I had a title. Listen, we can fool a lot of people with titles. Here's one more. Sincere. Man, I'm sincere. I'm sincere. I I feel the feelings. You you know, you can be sincerely wrong. And many people today are sincerely wrong. And Paul said, Paul said, these are my credentials, man. This is my pedigree. This is who I am. This is what I've achieved in life. If you were to put up a guy who could do it, by himself, I'm the guy. But then let's look at verse 7 in how he sees all of these things. In verse 7 he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And what Paul says is, listen, all those fleshly stuff, my pedigree, my achievements, I count them as loss. I count them as, the word rubbish is actually translated dung. I consider them as cow pies, man. That's what I consider 
all of these things over here. And you know, that list of things was not bad, was it? I mean, it was not a bad list. I mean, think about it. He, he was born in with a, a lot of privilege. He had a lot of achievements, but yet he considered that all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. I have a couple of quotes that I want you to grab right quick. One is this. A good thing is a bad thing if it becomes a substitute for the best thing. A good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a substitute for the best thing. And this one goes along with it. The worst form of badness may be human goodness when that human goodness becomes a substitute for the new birth. You cannot earn it. You cannot. I'm thinking, man, I've got the pedigree. I've done everything. But, you know, I've had to realize that that stuff does not save me. That does not, that does not bring me in a right relationship with, with God. That will not bring any contentment at all. And so we see this. The second thing, not, not only, um, was, well, let me, the second part is this. Wealth of the new man. We had the bankruptcy of the old man. We now have the wealth of the new man. And what is that wealth? There's three things. First of all, It's a knowledge of Christ. It's not a code of conduct. It's not a religious life. It's not heaven, not riches. But it's a knowing of Christ. I'm going to say something and and it, it may disturb you a little bit. You can know about Christ and not know Christ. And the question is going to be, well, how do I truly come to know Him? Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that know about Christ, but do not know Him. In fact, Jesus said, Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not cast out demons in Your name? Did we not do great works in Your name? And Jesus will say, Depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. That's a hard verse to chew on. But Jesus did not want people to miss it. He didn't want them to get caught up in a knowledge of stuff, but He wanted them to get caught up in a knowledge of Him. To know Him. To progressively know Him more and more. John 17.3 says this, Now this is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. And Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, For in these I delight, declares the Lord. If you're going to brag about anything, brag about the fact that you know the Creator of all creators. That you know Him. That's the only thing we boast of. When we stand before the Lord someday, is it going to sound so hollow? It was saying, yeah, but my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds. 
That's not going to cut it. I was a good guy. I gave my money to the church. Man, I attended. I slept through some sermons. And I, I did this. I don't know what it may be, but isn't that going to sound hollow? But, Lord, I can only boast in the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. That's all I can boast about. Fellowship with Christ. The second thing, well, let me share this. Because sometimes in life, Life gets hard, does it not? It gets hard, and, and uh, we, we lose sight of God sometimes. I'm reminded of the story of the little girl who was in the burning building, and she was up on the floors above, and the building was burning around her, and she could not see because of the smoke, and, and she heard her dad's voice, Honey, you need to jump! But Dad, I'm afraid I can't see you. And the dad responded back but said, I can see you. And she jumped and her dad caught her. You know, there's sometimes in life where the smoke of just life keeps us from getting a clear picture of the Father. But he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jump. I'm here. It's, it's knowing Christ. But the second thing is this, it's having fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with Christ. Uh, Psalm 32.8 is one of my favorite verses. And it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Now what that means, that that verse may confuse you a little bit. But it's, it's a word from the Lord that basically says this. I want to be so close to you that I can, I can counsel you with my eyes. Now, most men in this room understand that better than ladies do. Our moms used to control us with her eyes and our wives control us with their eyes. Yeah, I'm, I, I got an amen. You you know what it's like, man. Uh, I can. I'm not looking at her now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to look beyond. But uh, you know what I'm talking about, because there, uh, uh, you know, you have the relationship that you know what she is saying with her eyes. That's where the Lord wants to, us to get so close to Him that He can literally, we can't see His, His physical eyes, but he, we get so close to Him that He can control our direction like the next breath. You see, that's what is available to the person who knows Christ, that knows Him. Instruct you with my eyes. There was a, a little girl, and she had learned in Sunday school how massive and big God was. He's big, he's huge, he's the creator of everything. And she went home and was talking to her parents and said, said we learned how God, big God is. 
and you said that God lives in your life, right? And they said, yeah. But don't you think he ought to show more? The bigness of God should take over in our lives and become who we are. Now, listen, it takes time. Why God in his magnificent way of doing things takes somebody that's strung out on drugs or addictions of some sort and and has got their life in the tank and he transforms them in a moment and they're they're walking a different way why he does that and other people he takes through processes i don't know i just know that he desires for us to fellowship with him and to be close to him so the last thing under the wealth of the new man we have right standing through christ We have a right standing through Christ. It doesn't come by good deeds or church attendance. Righteousness does not come by learning a code of conduct. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ alone. You can't say Jesus plus, and you can't say plus and then add Jesus to it. You can't do that. Only by faith in Christ. It comes through faith in Christ alone. And faith is a verb. Uh, and, and faith and hope work together. And this week, Pam and I taught to second and third grades and uh, Bible study. And one of the days was Jesus gives us hope. And describing hope without faith is not an easy thing. But faith is a verb. Because many people think faith, I have faith, I believe. We talk about believe. And uh, But faith is a verb. And the way I look at it is, if I were to take this stool, Emily's stool here, and uh, I, I put it there, and I, I ask you, and I, I ask myself, do I believe that stool can hold me up? Well, the answer is, yeah. I, I've seen stools hold other people up. I believe that that stool can hold me up. But, you know, I do not faith in that stool until I place my weight on this stool. Now I have put faith in the stool. Many people know about Jesus. They know the stories. I believe the stories. I believe that Jesus was a real man. I believe that Jesus died. I believe He died on a cross. I believe He rose from the dead. I believe all those things right here. Right here. I got them. And you see, I've come to the conclusion that many people today are walking away from the church of Jesus Christ because they know it right here. And they do not know it to put their faith and their weight on the loving God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ. To know Him. And I I get concerned... Today, I, I'm not a good evangelist, and it's a concern of mine. I, I, it concerns me that we do not see, we see a lot of children baptized and come to faith because they grew up in your homes, you're good evangelists and your homes, but when was the last time you reached out to a neighbor, reached out to somebody and said, hey, I want to tell you about the most important thing in life, it's Jesus Christ. I'm not a good evangelist. I, I'm good at building relationships. 
And, and, and I, I'm not making any excuses. But what I've discovered is, is that sometimes, and, and I'm really not real good with children. Uh, because sometimes you can talk children into things and you've got to be very, very careful. Because you see, if you do not come to a point of brokenness over the sin in your life and repent, you cannot know a Savior. You will never know a Savior if you do not know you have a need for the Savior. And we have a tendency, if somebody starts feeling uncomfortable about their sin, what do we do? We try to take that discomfort away from them when they maybe should have to wrestle through that to battle through that to come to a place of faith in it with Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, If it doesn't, it needs to because it's real. How many parents have said, oh, if I can just get my kids baptized, I've done all the parenting I need. Listen, that water can just get you wet. It's a great thing as far as you take a step of obedience And I've seen the Holy Spirit rock worlds through the water of baptism. But I've seen many people who didn't get beyond here to here and they walk away. That's not the only reason that people walk away. But it concerns me greatly in our day that we do not know Him. That we have not told people, listen, you must repent. You must you understand that your sin has separated you from a holy God. And good deeds are not going to fix it. It's only the blood of Jesus shed on that cross that will fix it. And many of us are looking for contentment in life. We're looking for contentment in our marriage. We're looking for contentment in our jobs. Contentment in our families. Contentment in our health. And we're looking to everything else except for the one who created us. And I really believe that if we can center in on God is in you alone, we would find a lot more contentment in this life. I believe that firmly. Because look at what Paul said in wrapping up here. He said, he said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection... Have you ever thought about that? In Romans 8, Paul says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells in us. He said that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of of his suffering. We don't like the suffering. The word righteousness in the Chinese vocabulary, you know, the Chinese uh, letters and are characters. In other words, they're pictures. The history was pictures and they've evolved into what they are now. The word righteousness in the Chinese uh, language is actually two characters. One is of the man, a man character. And you look at this, and and today you think, I don't see it. But if you learn the history, and above the man is a lamb. That's the word for righteousness. Listen, I am only righteous because of the Lamb of God who covers me.
He covers me. I end with this. I was walking the dog yesterday like I do every day. And uh, I use I the time as introspection, prayer time, uh, those kind of times. And uh, I don't know if you like riddles or not, uh, but I thought about a riddle. And uh, some of you are going to know the, the, the answer to this. But the riddle came into my mind is, what is used best when it is broken? An egg. An egg is used best when it's broken. And as I thought about that, I kind of got a snicker, and I thought, why in the world did that come into my mind? And then right behind that, I had this impression. You know who is used best by the Lord? A believer who is broken. Paul said that I will know him in the fellowship of his suffering. There is something about brokenness. When we come to the point of my deeds are not good enough and God, I'm totally dependent on you. In that, in that point of humility and brokenness, I've seen lives fixed. I've seen marriages fixed. I've seen, I've seen kids fixed. I've seen addictions broken. But coming to that point of brokenness, even that is a gift from God.